Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. And it's our second minisode. Yes. <laughs> um. So I'm reeling because we record these on Monday morning. And last night was the giant Harry and Meghan Oprah interview. It was my Super Bowl. I cleared the room from Pat, basically, because I wanted to watch. And you didn't watch Clayton. No. <laughs> I am an anti-monarchist. I've always thought it was a bit silly. And I never really paid attention to the Meghan and Harry thing. Other than when they did leave, I was like, oh, well, good for them. Everybody should leave. The monarchy should cease to exist. But the interview last night was so interesting and also, I just miss Oprah Winfrey so much from when she used to be on our TVs every day at 4 p.m. Because nobody can interview like her. And it was fascinating to see sort of how things turned for Megan and Harry um, and how welcoming the family seemed to be at the beginning and then sort of how that slowly rotted. And then she it got to the point where she was then, you know, thinking of self-harm and stuff, which is like so scary. And then they made the big break and left. And I think the thing that really stuck it for me was at the end, you know, these two people who also like very clearly like actually love each other, um, talking about all the things that they did to make the life for them that they are excited about and that they love um, and how it had to take like completely leaving <laughs> his family. It was crazy. And, um, you know, now they live in Monticello and they live down the street from Oprah and they are raising rescue chickens and it seems like a total dream. So they got their happily ever after. It truly was like a romance novel. I love it. It's like a, <laughs> like a geopolitical Real Housewives as far as all of the gossip and everything as well. So, uh, all right, Clayton, so what's next? We got a review. Oh, we did? Well, we've gotten a lot of reviews, which is awesome because, you know, it helps people find the show, which is great. But there was a review that I thought was kind of interesting where we've had this debate it's not really a debate. I just think it's like different opinions about sp spoilers or knowing what's going to happen in a book before we read it to the point of, or even movies, right? Like knowing the ending of things. And we've got this review by Livy Gracie. That's five stars. Thank you. <laughs> and it says the ultimate book review then she goes on to say, I love this podcast. As someone with anxiety, it's sometimes very hard for me to just pick up a book and start it with little information. I think Aaron said something like this, but it really helps me to know what to pay attention to and what to expect, therefore making it much easier to enjoy. Then she said, I really love listening to the podcast and when I just need to relax. Definitely 10 out of 10, I recommend it. Thank you so much. But... That's an interesting thing to tie that into anxiety, right? Where mm -hmm. if you're going to read a book to enjoy it, which is what most people do, if you have 
that sort of lingering anxiety, it's better for you, obviously, to do what you need to to alleviate that. So it's weird, though, because I wouldn't say, uh, well, I'm pretty anxious, I guess. I mean, not I guess, I am. But for some reason, that, that there's no tie with me for that in I like going into a book without knowing anything. You are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Does anxiety play a part with that at all, do you think? For you? I don't know. No, because I think what it is is like if I don't know the ending – then I'm spending a lot of time while I'm reading, like thinking of what the ending could be. And also I feel like, you know, there's been times that I've read books and not known anything about them. And I find it really hard to know also like what to pay attention to. Everything seems kind of like the same. So it's not necessarily anxiety, but it, or maybe it is a little bit because it's just sort of like being able to relax into the story and just be like, okay, well I know where this is going so I can kind of enjoy the ride. Yeah, I still, it's so crazy because that that just seems like when things are created, they have a, it's like, especially if you're reading a narrative that is fictional or even nonfiction, because sometimes nonfiction can read like novel, right? Mm-hmm. There is a certain way it's laid out in order to hit these beats, which you're supposed to it's like a map to a destination and you're supposed to start at one end and end up at the other end and there's a rise and fall. So mm-hmm. if you eliminate that, it doesn't feel like it's how the narrative was intended to be experienced. Like if you know the ending of something before you start, the actions in the middle can sometimes pale like have less impact than they would if you would have just followed the narrative the way it was intended. That's my thought. Now I'm I'm on the so opposite spectrum that like with the romance novels I don't even read the back. Yeah. But it's pretty easy with a romance novel to, if it's well written to figure out who the lead is and who the like who the hero and the heroine is. In some literature there could be things that go this way or that way and you're like what's the point of this but that's all part of enjoying whoever wrote this sometimes there are digressions and you go along with it and hopefully it works out to have some sort of resonance with the rest of the book so that's my thought when you it's just it just seems so foreign to me if it's not anxiety driven because i understand that where i'll watch i'm a big if anybody listens to this podcast, I'm a big MTV Challenge fan. And there'll be points in in that show where I'll have to... They do eliminations at the end. And I'll have to try my hardest not to fast forward through the elimination just to know who wins. Because I'm so anxious about it. Hmm. And I'm like, no. Because this is why you're supposed to do this. To enjoy it. Like, the this feeling should be part of your enjoyment. And most of the time I do that, I'll stop because I'll be like, listen, just whatever happened, happened. You got to just deal with it. So just deal with it. Right. So I get that idea of those feelings making you want to go towards the end or know what the ending is. But but just being it seems like it's like confusing to you otherwise. Like if you don't know what's like happens at the end, then you don't know what's going on throughout the rest of it. 
it's not even knowing what's going on at the end because I think of like you know books that I've read with big twist like Gone Girl or The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I didn't know what those twists were going into the book and I really enjoyed the moment of like figuring out the twist and that was really like fun and exciting and a good reading experience and I don't know had I known the twist if I had read those books what I would have thought about it or you know you wouldn't have had that moment of surprise but I think for like romance novels or like most movies that don't have a twist um and but it's also it's not like I need to with a romance novel it's I know the ending is that they're going to end up together, but I don't know how they're going to end up together. And I think it's more, it just doesn't affect my reading experience that much. But it, I, I think there's a difference between like knowing exactly what the ending is, like listening to a podcast about the whole book and it, it being dissected, which like I've certainly listened to other, you know, romance podcasts about books and then gone to read the book because it sounded really interesting but I don't need that level of understanding of it. I think I just need at least to know, like, these are the two people. This is their big obstacle. Like, okay, let's go. Um, more than, like, the ending as, like, an anxiety reliever. But just sort of if I go into a book like you do, not knowing a single thing about it, like, that would be make me anxious. Because I would just not know, who am, like, who am I supposed to be paying attention to? What's happening? Oh, is this the main character? Is this the main character? Like... It, that would be all I was thinking of the whole time. But don't, I mean, I guess romance is a different thing because they usually present who the main character is very quickly. Right, right. But other books, they might not. Well, like I had the book, The Luminaries. I've had this book like for years and I never read it. And it wasn't until I watched the first episode of the TV series and I was like, okay, well, now I get what is going on here, like what this is actually about. And then I started reading the book and I've like really enjoyed it. But, you know, I think I needed somebody to be like, oh, this is about 12 people and each of them represent a different sign of the Zodiac and there's a murder and be like, okay, cool. That yeah. was not something that was clear. Yeah, that I mean, from just like looking at the book cover or even did like if you read the back of it, you wouldn't get that from that. No, or I mean, I never did because it never I I don't know how, when I bought it, but yeah, it was hot like a few years ago. I've I've if you look at my Kindle, it's it's littered with those fiction books that were hot at the moment that went on sale for three ninety nine that I just have never read. I mean, it's certainly, it's not a romance novel by any stretch, but it's a very good book and a very good TV show. Oh, so you're, you're, how far into the book are you? Uh, like a, one or 200 pages, I think. Okay. It's a pretty thick book, right? It's over 800 pages. So that's still, I'm still in the first quarter. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm making a resolution to read more fiction. Yeah. Because I read so much nonfiction when I'm not reading romance that I really need to, because I've been reading a little bit of fiction lately, and I really, really love how it gets my brain working in a different way. It gets my emotions going in a different way. It is just a different experience than reading nonfiction and it's just a muscle that I need to really make stronger I feel like what do you what do you think the reason is that because I feel like it's mostly men 
who don't read fiction. Or if they do read fiction, it's like James Patterson. It's these like very super masculine stories. Yeah, that's, you know, that's really interesting because I've thought about that too, where why, why is that? And I wish I had a really good reason for it. There's something about facts that I think men like. So if they (laughs) read nonfiction, they just have more facts to spew uh, you know, it's just ammo for them. And I think that there is a, a thing to that. There's like, I want to be able to regurgitate information that I learned in conversation. And when you read a book that's fiction, it doesn't teach you... and. It, it, it's like, it doesn't teach you facts or historical things. And I think it, it it's just more of an emotional experience that I think a lot of men don't want to or are comfortable dipping their toes into. Now, obviously, that's so, you know, I'm, I'm going by a very stereotypical and I'm just thinking about like my experience with that. But that's the thing about fiction that why I want to get more into it. And not that I don't read any, but I just don't read a lot is because I want to tap into that side of emotion because it it does get to me emotionally. I can sometimes find those books to be like almost too depressing for me to want to continue because a lot of fiction is about tragedies. A lot of fiction is about struggles and things like that. And when you read a nonfiction book about struggles, it's almost distanced. You're not put in that person's point of view really but if it's fiction a lot of times you're in it you're in that shit and it can be a little bit overwhelming and i think men sometimes don't want to wade into those muddy waters as much as women do yeah that is interesting because it's almost like and again we are being very general and stereotypical and binary with all this but like I think it's it's a way of like practicing and exercising emotions without having to actually have the experience. So you feel what it would be like to have these different things happen to you or or think about how you would process that without. And also, the, I think there's a level of wanting to have those emotions reflected back to you as well that I think women are more comfortable with. And yeah, I think it is probably men and specifically I'm thinking of just like older like people like my father's age and stuff like they don't read novels and it's so odd because so much of the publishing industry is focused on like trying to these like very like masculine or trying to get like men to read novels and it's like they don't seem to want to I don't know the statistics everything is off my like general life experience but um Yeah. And so it seems like something else that I think it could be. And I talked to my friend about this once because she read a romance novel because she knew I was a big fan. And so she was like, I should read one. And she read Sarah McLean's Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake, which is what I always recommend to any like newbies. And she loved it. She was like, it was it was so much fun. She was very into it. She called me in the middle of the night and was like, is the ton going to accept them? And I was like, oh, I'm like, well, that's not really a part of it. But yeah, don't worry. And I was like, great. So you read that one. I'm like, do you want to read 
another one? Here are like other good ones. And she was like, no, I don't think I'm going to read another one. And I was like, why not? She was like, well, because I feel like if I'm reading, it should be for like a higher purpose. So she was like, I want to only be reading books that I feel like are like on the New York Times bestseller list. It was a very odd thing that I didn't really understand. But she was just like, no, I, I only want to read these books. And then she started reading that that book what was like 2166 or something like that, all about all of these murders in Mexico. I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm yeah, sure, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm sure it's a very important book and good book and all those things. But it's just like, it's so heavy. And I, I think that there is a lot of people trying to project sort of who they are through what they read, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and so they feel like if I'm reading these serious books, it means I'm a serious intellectual person where it's like, you can read romance and be a serious intellectual person. Obviously, I think you should. It helps you to have like a diverse reading. So like definitely like romance and other fiction and some nonfiction and, and you know, shake it up. But um, but I found that really strange because I was like, but you enjoyed it. Like, I would understand if she read romance and she was like, it's not for me, but I appreciate that it's for other people. But she like genuinely really, really liked it. And I was like, that's so odd to me that you care that much. Because also it's like, especially now, I mean, I think back in the day you were reading on the subway, maybe that would people would see you read. But I'm like, people don't really know what you're reading unless they are in your space. They're in your bedroom. Maybe they see what's on your um uh, on your nightstand but otherwise it's like how do people know what is it matter? yeah uh, th- there is there is a level of uh, it, i think that might be one reason why romance is 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 not embraced widely is because it's it's not something that if you had on your bookshelf and you bring somebody over they're going to be impressed by because culturally it's just not been looked at as high-minded or like like that she was saying where it's not i don't want to say like worth somebody's time but it's that sounds to me like somebody who doesn't read a lot because but if you're, she does if you, which is the weird thing well she's one of those i don't have a television so i'm like okay so you watch everything on your laptop i was yeah okay. exactly you have a laptop so yeah yeah but that that i i kind of understand that a little bit where I will read, I read so many music bios, so many books about music and stuff, and I will feel like, okay, this is a lot of candy. Mm -hmm. I need something substantial. But it's not because I want to make it seem like I'm more intellectual than I am. I probably, not probably, I did that in my 20s, I'm sure, in college or when I first moved to the city, I wanted to make sure that I had all the right books and all those things. And now I'm just like, you know, it's so hard to enjoy anything at this point that just enjoy what you enjoy. And if you're still holding to that kind of, I need to have the a popular intellectual book in my hand, it's it makes me sad. Like that makes me bummed because... At this point, you just gotta like what you like. If it's music, if it's TV, if it's if it's books, just enjoy what you enjoy. But for me, the the reason I want to read more fiction is not like out of pretense. It's just because I like that 
using that muscle and I don't use it enough because it's difficult. It's more difficult than reading a nonfiction book. Like I just finished the, and I swooned about this, the Mike Nichols Mm -hmm. biography, swooned about this last episode. And I, you know, I, I was sad when it ended because spoiler alert, he was in his eighties, but he died. (laughs) <laughs> and I knew that was going to happen because I knew he had died because I had read the newspaper articles about it. But, you know, he had such an amazing life. He had d- gone through so much. He'd been married four times and so many ebbs and flows. And, you know, I was sad reading the end of it and was a little bit in a funk yesterday because I've just finished it. And it did feel like a loss to me. It felt like a loss. But... It didn't feel as impactful to me as a really great fiction book where something devastating happens. It's just raw for some reason. The Mike Nichols dying was more raw? No, like a fiction book can bring out raw emotions than something that is nonfiction. Yeah. Because nonfiction is just clinical in a way that fiction the best fiction shouldn't be and isn't. I mean, I think that there are people who are like elevating the nonfiction genre, like um, John Krakauer or Nathaniel Philbrick or Robert Kochler. I don't love that. I just named three men, (laughs) but those are the ones that I, I thought of. And I'm sure there are women who are doing it as well, but like Robert Kochler's books, lost girls and um, hidden Valley road are both fiction, uh, nonfiction, but do read like a novel. And he does have this power to write characters as if they are imaginary, I guess, which doesn't seem like it's a good thing, but you really get into them. And I've been recommending everybody read Hidden Valley Road. It's about a family with 12 children, uh, 10 boys, two girls, six of the boys are diagnosed as schizophrenics. And it their schizophrenia ranges from very, very severe to not quite as severe. I didn't know that schizophrenia, there was a, um, that there was a spectrum, but apparently there is. And, and I feel like that family has really stayed with me in a way, um, that I think about them the way I think about characters sometimes. Like, um, I'm in a writing group and somebody named, (laughs) the last name of one of his the, his characters is Ralston, which is the name of the the hero in Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake by Sarah McLean. And it almost, I always was like, oh, you named him Ralston like after Ralston from the book. And I was like, there's no chance this guy has read that book. And also, no. But it felt like a person to me that I was like, oh, no. Yeah, like obviously like, this, this person culturally we all know. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the thing too. It's like the 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 top of any genre, like the what who, it, no matter if it's romance, if it's nonfiction, if it's fiction, when people are doing it at a certain level, it does transcend, you know. So oh yeah, it doesn't, you know. Nonfiction reads like fiction, and fiction reads like nonfiction. It it feels so real. Yeah, I just think there is a level of in fiction where you can dig into somebody's brain and their psychology more because mm-hmm. you created that character as opposed to when if you tried to graft that onto real living characters, it sometimes can feel like, well, do they really know that this is how this person felt? 
you know? So when you're writing nonfiction, you have to be careful not to really try to dig too deep into, not, not try not to, but you can't really know what's in somebody's head, truly. And in fiction, you can. Right, yeah. And that is, I think, where the impact lies. You know, it's a little bit stronger. It can be stronger in fiction, if done well, obviously. I mean, I've read a lot of the reason why it's hard for me to read fiction is because fiction is difficult to write. And when you don't have a romance happily ever after, a lot of times books end very badly. And not badly in what happens to the characters, but they just don't know how to pull it all together. So you're with them all through the first two parts of the book and then it gets to the end and it's some weird contrivance or it just farts out. There's just very, it's very difficult to end a fiction book. And that's always been my struggle is finding mm-hmm. books that end well. Yeah, that's interesting. And then there, there is also that thing of ending in tragedy and that's supposed to be profound. Like somebody's mm-hmm. dying is so profound and it's like, I mean, it can be, but sometimes it does feel like, well, I need to make this serious. So let's have somebody be abused or somebody die. And it's like, I don't want either of those things. <laughs> like, and I don't think that's necessary. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, that's the whole thing where a lot of fiction, they, you know, you have to write about certain topics because that's the sexy topics to write about. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's like anything. Fiction just at, is is such a wide swath, but but speaking about those kind of prestigious fiction books that get written up in the New York Times, you know, a lot of those just aren't very good, you know, and 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 like anything, but mm-hmm. so it's hard to find those books that are great, and they're not always those New York Times ones. There might be ones that are just hanging out, nobody really has read them, or like a very few. And they're just, you know, you people are fervently talking about how great this book is. And then usually those can break through because of the internet. But mm-hmm. otherwise, it's it's harder to find, for me, fiction books because I know what I like nonfiction-wise, but fiction can always be very slippery. Yeah. But I just got the book by Patricia Lockwood, who wrote Priest Daddy. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a novel which is called no one is talking about this and it got really good reviews so i took a you know it's one of those things i took a leap on it so we'll see how if it's if it's any good but you know even even fiction that isn't great still works that muscle and i think that's what's important because when you get that one book you get that one book that hits you and it's just made everything else worth it a hundred percent, yeah. Do you have a favorite fiction that isn't a romance? Oh or yeah, well, like... I mean, I I gave that I, I bought that book for you. Oh yeah. I, uh, which is the Secret History by Donna Tart, which I don't think probably impacts. I think if I read it now, it wouldn't impact me as much as it did when I read it when I was like twenty six. Mm-hmm. But that was one of my favorites. Uh, Bel Canto. Oh, yeah. By, yeah, um, by Ann Patchett. Probably butchered both of those. <laughs> love that book. Love that book. But 
has one of the worst epilogue endings ever that I when I give that book to people I say don't read the epilogue but they always do and they always get upset but I love that book I'm trying to think if I've read anything recently you know I'm sure there's ones that I'm totally missing that that I really really loved yeah that I can't think of right now do you do you have I mean, whenever anyone is like, what is your favorite book? I always say East of Eden by John Steinbeck, which does make me sound like a pretentious asshole. But I do really love it. And I think it's the same thing that you're saying. Like, I read it at a time when I needed that book the most. Um, And I think it's just like so beautifully written. And it's so long. (laughs) It's about basically like two entire generations. Um but about like generational trauma and trying to overcome destiny and all these things that I, and that I really loved. And I think it was also, you know, one of the main characters is somebody who just like is constantly trying to do good, but keeps fucking up. And at that time in my life, that was kind of me. And so I was like, Oh man, I'm exactly like Cal. Loved it. I I read that in college too. I loved it. And a hundred years of solitude, which I think is the same sort of thing, which I loved as well. Um, yeah, but now, rec- I mean, yeah, recently it's been, um, obviously Taylor Jenkins Reid, obviously I'm a huge fan girl. So I love, you know, Daisy Jones of the Six and Evelyn Hugo, a friend of mine, her mother is Colombian. And so they went to, you know, Colombia, which is where Gabriel Garcia Marquez is from. And she was like, I saw his house. And I was like, oh, did you go in for a tour? And she was like, no, cause he still lives there. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I like I keep forgetting like I'm happy he's alive but I keep forgetting like the way that it it feels like one of these like you know old books that like this person would have been dead for 200 years but like no he's still kicking it in Colombia it made me laugh I just saw a picture of him on Instagram with Shakira and I was like this feels wrong (laughs) this shouldn't be happening but fine well you know it's there was a time when authors and in some countries I'm sure still authors are are like huge celebrities like real authors like real authors used to go on talk shows back in the day right like Mm -hmm. norman mailer would be on the tonight show where the only people who would ever have people who wrote books on a late night show now would be you know if a youtuber wrote a book you know (laughs) and it was on there or a celebrity wrote a book but or it's a political book, like it was The Daily Show. And I know Jon Stewart would have like political writers on there. But people don't have novelists on these shows anymore. Yeah. But novelists used to be part of that tapestry of celebrity. And it's just not the case anymore. Speaking of books. What oh, are I was going to say, though, real yeah. fast. Sorry not to interrupt no. you. But talking about pretension. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to read the novelization of movies instead of watching the movies because I thought that made me more high minded. So <laughs> That's I so adorable. I'd be like, oh, you saw Ghostbusters 2 in the theater? I read the book. <laughs> and it was always sequels. It was like Ghostbusters 2, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Aliens 3. I, I had these novelizations and I'd carry them around like, well, you can have your movies. I'll have my books. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. So I, I obviously have changed. Yeah. Not for the better, maybe. You know, we all evolve. So 
we got a follow-up email from Shannon, no last name, who wrote us last week taking us to task for thinking that Charmaine is a good person. We don't think Charmaine is a good person, but we love her anyway. Um, and she suggested that we read Virgin River by Robin Carr. And so we're going to do it. We're mm-hmm. finally, after watching two seasons of the show, we we figured now's the time. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how different it is from the television show, which I've heard it's very different. Yeah, it's more sexy. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah, because I was going, you know, I got the Kindle on Amazon and I was looking at the reviews and it was funny, the first two reviews on Amazon... I'll just read real fast. Not not the whole review, but the title of the review. Sherry gave the books five stars, said, books more awesome than Netflix version. It's a mm-hmm. five-star review. Right under that, next top review, one star. The Netflix series is much better than the book. <laughs> so, and that was from Kindle Customer. So anonymous listen if you're gonna if you're gonna put these books on blast you gotta at least put a fake name right not just kindle customer but we'll see if kindle customer is right or sherry is right or if it's somewhere in between i mean it probably is i think the thing is is like you always have to judge it almost separate from the the show or movie or whatever because it's so different but well, it's interesting now because we had this conversation all about not wanting to know anything, but you're going to go into this book knowing a ton and you're going to have, you know, Mel and Jack and everybody in your head. But it's I I feel like th- th- it'll be much, di- much more different, much more different. God, <laughs> I think it'll be different, different, <laughs> you know, no, much more different. It'll be much <laughs> more different is what I'm going to say. I'm calling it now. It's going to be much more different. No, but it's so, going to be different than the 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 uh, show. So I'll be able to experience an alternative uh, reality. Should we flap it, or is there no need? Yeah, no. Let's flap it. I think the flap is pretty short. Um, I will flap it if you don't mind. Go for it. Welcome back to Virgin River with the book that started it all. That's, I don't need that. Okay, this is the flap. This is from the Netflix version, like the tie-in book. That's why. Okay. Wanted. Midwife slash nurse practitioner in Virgin River. Population 600. Make a difference against a backdrop of towering California redwoods and crystal clear rivers. Rent-free cabin included. Wow, okay. Well, that's cool. Rent-free cabin included. When the recently widowed Melinda Monroe sees this ad, she quickly decides that the remote mountain town of Virgin River might be the perfect place to escape her heartache and to re-energize the nursing career she loves. But her high hopes are dashed within an hour of arriving. The cabin is a dump, the roads are treacherous, and the local doctor wants nothing to do with her. Realizing she's made a huge mistake, Mel decides to leave town the following morning. But a tiny baby abandoned on a front Porch changes her plans, and former Marine Jack Sheridan cements them into place. Ooh. Wow. 
I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited. Now, <laughs> I'm looking at the pr- page length, and it's 430 pages, but I'm hoping that it zips by. It's going to zip. It better 386 zip. 386 pages. <laughs> it's got to zip. It has to zip. Listen, I we can't we can't do this struggle if it doesn't zip. It's got to zip, Jerry. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. So that's what we're reading for next week. Virgin River, Robin Carr. Let's see if it lives up to the TV hype. Yes. All right. Yeah. If you have any suggestions for books, you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at Learning Tropes, on Twitter at Learning the Tropes. Um, we have the Facebook group, the Learning the Tropes Troops. You can come join us there. Um, all right, guys. Well, happy reading. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.